this is David Shepard from uh, IDeclare.org. He's the president. And uh, we welcome him. Pastor Kevin's on vacation. And uh, we want to uh, honor him and let him have a great vacation. So he came to speak. And uh, I'll let you take introduce whatever else you want to do. Thank you so much. So hello, good morning, or good afternoon, I guess at this point. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming, and uh, I'm blessed to be here. And I uh, absolutely love Pastor Kevin and Pastor Sherry. It's been an honor to uh, have the opportunity to come here and be in relationship with them. So I, I shared in the first service, and I, you know, a couple of people already signed it. We're, at the end of the service, we're going to do a Declaration of America's Christian Nation. So we're going to celebrate Freedom Sunday, which is going to celebrate freedom in America, and we're going to go through the Declaration of Independence a little bit, go through our founding fathers. So... Uh, the word given by Hank it was so precious to me and it really touched my life. And I'm going to share a little bit more about what God's already done, uh, kind of what Hank was saying and how I ended up here in the first place and where I plan on going and how God is moving through my life. So um, about two years ago, um, I had a vision from God. I spent a lot of time in prayer time and that's kind of some people love to read for hours a day. Some people like to go out and evangelize. And, of course, we do all that. But my passion has always been intimate worship. So I spent a lot of time in my bathroom and killing my dad's water bill. And, <laughs> and a lot of time praying and worshiping in the shower and, and all those kinds of things. That's just what happens to be my secret place. And I would get all these visions and these crazy visions. And I started to get these visions of leading America to uh, repentance and leading America in this revival type atmosphere and bringing Christianity back in America. There was my father would have similar visions and dreams and uh, multiple sources in our family. So I wasn't um, really had a heart or desire to be in ministry. Uh, I was more of, I was very blessed in the business world back then. I had started a successful business when I was a teenager and carried that through. And uh, my passion was to be in the workforce and to serve the church and to support the church in any which way that I can. Um, but God had different plans, and, and I had a hard time accepting those plans. So I was going to tell a little bit of my testimony because of what had, Hank had uh, spoke over my life. So kind of see how it, the two matches up and what God is doing. So I got involved in a huge mega church, and in this mega church, you don't have much vision outside of this mega church. It's, it's in alignment with the church, and you don't have really your own visions and dreams. But I kept getting these visions and dreams, and I didn't understand what I was supposed to do with them. So I would pray and ask God, well, God, if I'm supposed to do this for real, you have to give me a sign because I want to be in obedience and submissive to the house that God has called me in. And uh, so I, I began to ask God what, that I want the pastor of that church, that you have to bless me and say that, hey, I'm called to do this. So I'd pray and I'd pray and I'd pray and I'd keep getting these visions. And then one day, uh, at this point in time, I had been in this church for a really long time, but I've never met the pastor. I've never shook in his hand. It's, it's just one of those things you don't have the ability to meet your pastor afterwards it's because so, the church is so big and they have the armor bears and all that uh, and I get a phone call from this pastor and he said that he wanted to come meet with me that he had a prophetic word I thought it was a joke to be honest I thought my friends were messing with me so he's telling me who he is on the phone I was like yeah for real who is this this is not funny um, and he's like yeah why don't you come to my office and want to meet and we want to talk so so I went and uh, he ended up telling me how he had this vision, this dream. I was on this plane, and I was going state to state, and I was talking about Christianity in America, and I was leading this revival, and I was doing this whole ministry that had to do with bringing Christianity back in America. He didn't really know how it goes, but that's what God had showed him. So I was blown away, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, because I've been praying and asking God for a confirmation and a sign that, hey, I should start to pursue this. Um, so I was like, all right, well, this is what I have now. So we all get prophetic words, we all get dreams, and of course, we all have a plan and a purpose that God has given us. 
Um, so I'm now beginning to ask this confirmation stage. So I get my confirmation, but I still don't do anything with it uh, because, you know, well, for one, what am I going to do? I'm young and I don't have any experience. And uh, my biggest fear is the stage in public speaking. So I was like, well, that sounds like a great plan, but what am I going to do? <laughs> so, so, so I was like, I definitely don't want to do this. <laughs> but, but God put that passion. I had this passion in my heart. I wanted to see revival. I just didn't want to have to be the one to do it. So, <laughs> but I was like, God, I'll answer any, and I'll do anything that you want me to do. But I was stubborn. And I was like, God, if you really want me to go forward, you're going to have to give me confirmation outside the church because this is my home. They kind of have the same spirit. And maybe they're just sensing my visions and dreams. I, I didn't really want to accept that that was my confirmation. So I was touched, uh, my, how I got introduced into the supernatural realm and Christianity, and uh, to really, I mean, of, of course I was raised in a Christian home, but to really take me to the next level, to deep intimacy and relationship with God and the supernatural atmosphere was the Lake and Revival. So I was touched, uh, and I went to Lake and Revival every weekend, and there was a big revival going on, and uh, that completely changed my life. So I said, well... This is many years later. The revival ended in controversy, but I still had a respect for the man that God had used. So I said, God, well, if you really, really, really want me to do this, I would love it that you would use that man to call me out by first and last name when I attend his meeting and to have him prophesy this word over my life. If that's what it's going to if you do that, then I'll believe it. And that's not the way we're supposed to act as Christians. As, you know, we're supposed to you know, hear God from ourselves and trust God and go forward. But I was stubborn and I was like, well, if you really want me to do that, you'll do that. Everybody told me I was absolutely insane. You're going to waste your life. You're not going to be obedient to God. So I was all right. Well, you know, I'm still, still young. I'm still developing my maturity in Christ. And, and I went to this meeting and he had no idea who I was. I went all by myself. I was in Boca Raton in a small little church. And uh, he was there. And at the end of the service, he said, you know, I've never called out anybody by name. But, so I'm going to take a step of faith. I've never done this before. I don't really believe in that stuff. But he's like, is there anybody here in this room with the last name Shepherd? And I'm getting the first name like David. So I was, hey, that's me. So, so I went to the front and then he prophesied. He's, man, I, he's like, I just see this patriotic like angel behind you. And it's like red, white, and blue. And I see you bringing like a revival or being a leader of the United States of America, bringing Christianity back in America. I was like, wow, that's exactly what God has been telling me. And I got confirmation. So I was like, well, that's a pretty cool sign. I was crying. I was weeping. I was all super excited. So I was like, all right, God definitely wants me to do this. But then I was still stuck at a point of where I'm lost. I don't know. I don't have any guidance. I don't know what to do other than the Holy Spirit, but it's still a big step to take. And, uh, you know, I had a full-time job, and I was uh, volunteering full-time in the church. So any time that I had, was, I didn't really have any. So I was still a, a little bit uh, stubborn, and I was like, well, well, Roy Fields was a part of that, that uh, Lakeland revival as well. And he had a meeting coming up. I was like, well, let's just, let's just be 100% sure and let's make sure that he calls me out by name too. So, so I was like, all right, well, he's coming to Lakeland. He's doing the anniversary at, at Ignited Church and Pastor Steve Strader. So I was like, well, if Roy Fields called me by name, well, then that would make sense. We'd have, for sure, we have a confirmation and we're all in alignment. So I went and everybody then said, well, you have the wrong attitude and the understanding of how Christ talks to you and how you take God's plan. So I was there. Well, let's just see what happens, and, and I didn't really want to answer the call. And uh, Roy Fields, he ended up calling me out by name. He said, hey, there's somebody in here. He's a young man. His name's David. I, something about a shepherd. And I was like, oh, well, that's my, that's my first and last name. So he came up, and he gave the same exact prophetic word about leading revival in America and Christian being, America being a Christian nation and all that stuff. So I was like, all right. So I was, again, a touched and a weep, but then I came back to this church, and then I was like, well, how am I... I I can't do both. I can't be a part of this church and do this at the same time. It's just not a, the, the way that it works. So I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? 
So I was like, well, there's a big guest speaker coming up and, uh, for the New Year's Eve service. And uh, he's a really, really well-known speaker. And I said, well, if he calls me out in this church with thousands, tens of thousands of people, and it's the guest speaker, then I'll know for sure that for this upcoming year, then I'll be called out to go and start doing this. So, so I was there, and I was serving, and, and then I got a prophetic word from him to come out, and he gave me the exact same prophetic word. So I was like, all right, so now it's time. And I began to take a step of faith. And then I was like, all right, so I'm going to do this. And then I was like, well, God, I don't have any money. And to make a lot of these materials and produce even just, you know, it's very, very expensive. So I was like, well, I don't have any money in that way because I had just quit my job to be in full-time ministry, helping out at the church and doing that. So I was starting a new venture. And uh, so I was like, well, God, you need to open the doors. So he had, uh, had a vision of calling a multi-billionaire. And he told me that the purpose of this reason for opportunity was to show me that I didn't have to do it myself, that I'm not going to do it, uh, that God would open the doors to the right people. So he had said I'd gain favor with certain people. And he was a multi-billionaire. I'd been in sales my whole life. I know how hard it is that you beg and beg and beg the gatekeeper just to get to like the manager that works for the multi-billionaire. And maybe you have an opportunity to tell your story and to get an opportunity. So God says, well, wake up in the morning and call him and he'll answer the phone. And uh, so I woke up, I called him, he answered the phone, we had met, we went over everything, and it was a sign that God would, op- you know, that God would open those doors, no matter the obstacle that would come, and then I got, received some financial blessings after that to go towards the ministry um, that were extremely uh, amazing, so I started to put together that process, and then uh, I still had this issue, I'm like, well, no one's going to listen to me, I'm like, first of all, you know, I look like I'm 12 years old, and, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not the most charismatic individual, um, you know, so I was like, I, I grew up in a very charismatic movement, so everybody's jumping around, screaming, and miracles, and all this stuff, and that's my passion, I love that, but that's not my personality. I'm more of just a business person talking, so I was like, oh, I didn't really, you know, see that, that part going. So, um, but God worked it out, and then someone told me about uh, Martin Luther King, and they told me the story about Martin Luther King, about the movement that Martin Luther King made in his time, and there was, I, I never knew this at the time, I had researched it to make sure it was true, but there was actually another gentleman that was used during that time that was selected by the media to bring racial equality together. I don't remember his name. Forgive me. I can get it for you. We can Google it. Um, but he was the one that got all the, the press, and he would try to do the meetings at the National Mall, and he was the one that everybody backed up in the media as far as, hey, this guy has a plan. He would tell everybody his plan. We're going to make equality by doing this, this, and this. We're going to meet here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And he, had this, he had it all figured out. Um, and then when he went to the National Mall, only a few thousand people showed up. It was a very, very poor support system. Nobody really got behind this guy. But Martin Luther King was, you know, he, was, uh, he preached the gospel, and he, the one thing that Martin Luther King said was he had a dream. So he always preached that he had a dream. He never had a plan. He had a dream. So when he went to the National Mall, people showed up, and there was millions of people, obviously, and people stood behind Martin Luther King, and they marched, and they all stood behind him. So he asked me, and he said, you know, he's like, how many people showed up for Martin Luther King on that day? And I said, well, millions of people showed up for Martin Luther King. He said, no, nobody showed up for Martin Luther King. They showed up for the dream that Martin Luther King had. And so it began to speak to me. And it's like, it's true. People don't, you know, you don't support the pastor or the preacher. You're supporting the vision of God that has placed over his life. So I began to accept that. And here I am today. So I'm just getting started. We've been doing this about a year and a half. We had our conference last year. How I met Pastor Kevin and Sherry is I had this conference set up and had some of these controversial speakers um, that were supernatural. And uh, it was set up at a, at a bigger church, and it was supposed to be pretty easy set. I booked all the speakers, and about a week before the conference comes, uh, they canceled it. And they said, hey, look, unfortunately, you can no longer have 
your conference here because some people are scared of the preachers and you know they're talking about angels and healing and all that stuff. It just freaks a little people out. So it's better off that we just cancel the whole thing. Well, this is my first conference. I took a step of faith, invested all my money, and this is my one shot. So I was like, what am I going to do now? So someone had said, uh, thank you, appreciate it. And so I was seven days away, about a week away, and someone said, well, you should go talk to Pastor Kevin. Somebody, somebody had the idea that he was a history buff. He ends up not being a history. He's not a big fan of history, but somebody in the church ended up being history. And uh, I'd never met Pastor Kevin, never heard of him. And he said, look, Pastor Kevin's a great guy. Maybe he'll host your conference and you just make it smaller. So I'd approached Pastor Kevin last minute. I said, look, I know you don't know me. I just came on a Sunday service the week before. I said, I have a conference coming up. I'm in desperate need of a place. Can you help me? Is there anything that you can do? He's like, give me a couple of days to think about it. Um, I have to talk it over to my board, the landlord, because they have restrictions. And uh, how many people is it going to be? I said, look, honestly, I have no idea. Uh, we have a bunch of speakers. Uh, we have people that are registered. You know, it could be thousands. It could be 100. We don't know, you know? Um, it's my first time doing it. And uh, he was like, well, you know, he's like, our place only holds what it holds. And he's, you know, with this short timing and the landlord issue, and I think we had it all throughout the week and everything like that. He's like, it's just not going to work out. But I'd love to support you in any which way that I can. And Pastor Kevin had blessed me and uh, sowed a seed. And uh, I took a step of faith, and I rented a conference hall in the Crown Plaza, which many of you, I see a lot of your faces, that a lot of you guys supported, so I appreciate it. Uh, and, but that's how I built relationship with Pastor Kevin, so I'm very honored. And uh, I always tell everybody that Pastor Kevin and Sherry and Elevate Miami is one of my most favorite uh, pastors and, and churches in the world, that uh, we just grown a special connection and relationship through them. So we honor them, and I, and I thank them for being here. So they're out of town. They called me this week. Uh, they asked me if I... Declaration of Independence. I was uh, last week at Robert Slayerton's church. I did a message. They had saw it, and they're like, hey, we're going out of town. It'll be perfect. It's 4th of July. Maybe you can come talk about the Declaration of Independence, and we'll do a Freedom Sunday. So that's what I'm here for. Uh, we're here for Independence Day, but most of us, uh, depending, I mean, obviously, a lot of us know we're here celebrating freedom. But from the world's point, we start to ask people, what is Independence Day? And I do a lot of, uh, or you, we'll go around like public shopping centers and stuff like that and just kind of ask people what their feedback is. And you'd be surprised at what people come up with, and you kind of ask them all these different things about Christianity in America, and it's a big controversial statement. So most people don't know it today what, that, what Independence Day even means. You know, some people said it's like National Hot Dog Day, something, <laughs> um, but uh, and Barbecue Day, a day to be your family, a day off from work, which of course they are all those things, but the, what we are celebrating is our freedom. But what exactly is our freedom? freedom you know, our freedom comes from God, and our founding fathers set it up that we would have freedom in America, that we'd have freedom to worship God, and then would come those things, we have freedom in our finances, and everything that we declared in freedom with racial equality and every aspect of our life that we would experience freedom. So if we look at a textbook today, if we pull up any public school book system, for the most part, you pull up any college textbook, it's going to tell us that the reason and the only reason for the Declaration of Independence is taxation without representation, right? That's what we're talking. It's an economic reason. We came here for financial gain. All of our founding fathers are atheists, or at best, they're deists. And deists would be they believe in the universal God, they deny the Trinity, they deny Jesus Christ, right? So, how did we get to that point? Uh, there's actually 27 different reasons of why we have the Declaration of Independence. And if we look at taxation without representation, it's actually listed as number 17 of 27. So it's not even in the top 10, but for some reason we've been taught that it's the most important, and it's the only reason why we have the Declaration of Independence. Uh, so we're missing those moral and religious founding points, and uh, we're missing what our founding fathers came when we came here for a separation of freedom, uh, have the ability to worship. Um, 
So they did a survey at the last election from just church people, from evangelicals. So 77% of America identifies as Christian according to statistics. And maybe like 10, 20% of those people actually show up to vote. But uh, they did a statistic of the ones that did vote. They asked them, hey, what is the most important aspect in voting? Is it economic, economics or is it faith and freedom and, and uh, religion? And 45% of everybody that voted from an evangelical base said economics is more important than religious and moral values. So you begin to see the way that America's going, and we've seen that racial tensions is at its all-time high since we've been separated and, and freedom and Martin Luther King movement. We've gone in exactly reverse. We've gone background. Our Bible's been removed from schools. Uh, pastors are being subpoenaed in Houston, saying that they, uh, and then here in the state of Florida, there's a new bill coming up uh, in the next election that is going to prevent pastors from providing any kind of counseling to those struggling with gender identity or with homosexuality. So they want to remove those verses from the Bible because it says that it, it causes confusion amongst them, but the Bible is the word of God and that's the truth, so, and we shouldn't be submitted to the government. All right, so, um, but there is actually, out of those 27 different reasons, um, you have 11 on abuse of government power, we have 7 on abuse of military, 4 on judicial abuse, and the rest were on the freedom of religion. Uh, so we, we wanted America to be a Christian nation. They said that Psalms 33:12, that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That was their motto. They said that if we want this nation to be blessed, so in order to be blessed, we have to do, like, declare our new government system, our freedom on God himself. Um, but today, when we look at our presidents and everything like that, we no longer judge them by moral character or value. Uh, we judge them by economic gain. We look at the recent, most recent election. We look at Donald Trump. Uh, he ran against a lot of, uh, he had a lot of competition, and he wasn't the most Christian, moral-valued person, but he was a multi-billionaire, and uh, he was the most economic one, but if you look like, uh, like Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, those would have been your strongest moral guys. Not saying that Donald Trump winning was a bad thing, um, but just to say that we put economics before we put values, um, which is, we have to start to change that if we want to have change in our nation. Um, so how did we get to the point that the Declaration of Independence became about taxation without representation? So it came down to our textbooks, what we taught in school. So there's no Bibles in schools anymore. So the people that we put to elect our, our children uh, put the uh, textbooks together and all of our stuff together are atheists. So what did you do as a writer? If you're a writer writing textbooks or if you're writing anything, you're writing a letter, you're even having communication with your friends, you talk about or you write about whatever you're passionate about. Well, if you're an atheist, probably not very passionate about God or the biblical principles. So you're like, well, let's rule those out. And what's important to me is going to be economics. And so everybody, it's a world, we need money to survive. In our world, we put God first. In Matthew 6, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. So of course, we do need finances, but we put God first, and God gives us that financial freedom that they declared over our lives. But they're the ones writing our textbooks. They don't care about God, so they talk about, hey, let's just focus on economics. So we've been so focused on economics, and we've lost sight on God. And then it's trickled down to the church because we no longer teach about Christianity outside the church. So we think about, hey, when we vote, we've got to make sure my pockets are taken care of, make sure I have all these benefits. And we don't worry about all the uh, political things that affect Christianity or give us that freedom to live and to worship God that we have. So we want to understand and remember where we came from. Um, but in the Declaration of Independence, is there mention of a God? It says that uh, we are given certain inalienable rights, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness which is given to us by our creator. So if these founding fathers are atheists, how do you have a creator? 
So they mentioned that we have a creator, right? So if to be created, there must be a higher being that created us. So there's a mention of God in the Declaration of Independence, which gets to the point, okay, fine, they weren't atheists, they were deists, they believe in a universal God, they didn't believe in Jesus Christ or any form of Christianity. Um, so we're going to go over in a minute some of the founding fathers. We have to look at their original tense. I'm going to read some quotes about our founding fathers and what they believed in. Now, these are actual quotes from original sources. Whenever you want to give quotes, I don't do anything from the Internet. I don't do anything from textbooks that work with most books. You look at the original source, and they're from 1960s, 1970s. So that's why I was saying when you open those books, they say uh, all of our founding fathers were atheists, and it's about a man's opinion in the 1960s or 1970s to who created the education system for the modern era. So they're just quoting another individual. You want to look at original source and original documents. If anybody wants to see those original sources, you feel free to see, uh, see me after the service. I can show you the exact original document. Or you can email me and go to idclare.org. I'll send you everything that you need. Um, so before I get that, because when we talk about, well, the other issue is we started the Declaration of Independence, but we had slavery. So how could we be a Christian nation? This doesn't make any sense if you're, if you're talking about Christianity and they have slaves at the same time. That kind of contradicts itself, right? So we have to understand where we came from. We came under the British law and the king, and the king was pro-slavery. Well, the penalty for freeing a slave during this time was death. So you didn't have an option. So Thomas Jefferson was the slave owner, right? He was the biggest deist and atheist that we know, according to textbooks, right? So Thomas Jefferson writes the Declaration of Independence. But if you guys look up his original draft, if you go online, you can research the original draft written by Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson, in the, in the Declaration of Independence, was to abolish slavery. So Thomas Jefferson himself was the original one who started to say we need to end slavery in America. If we're going to start this new nation that's going to be blessed by God, slavery can't be a part of it. However, when we're signing this Declaration of Independence, we're committing treason. We're not just signing a piece of paper and saying, hey, I vote on this law, I vote on this bill. I think we should just change this rule. It was saying, hey, we're going to go against the most powerful military in the entire world, against Great Britain. We're going to sign our lives away, and we're going to separate and become an independent nation. That's treason. That's penalty of death. So a lot of these guys, it's a big decision to make. It's not something that you take lightly. Well, in order to, get to do that, you need to have a unanimous vote. So everybody in this room is like, hey, if we're going to sign this declaration today, I need every single one of you to sign this. We can't have a division at all because we're going to do this together or we don't do it at all. And these were very, big, very important meetings. So they had 57 people in the room, 56 people signed. The only way they can get them to do that was because uh, it was Georgia and South Carolina. They were very hard on slavery. And they're like, we're not willing to give that up. It's no deal. So they said, okay, fine. So we'll take that line out, and we'll focus, once we get this passed, we are in a new independent nation. We'll separate it by state, and we'll allow to leave it up to the states, and we'll work on ending slavery after we've established ourselves as a Christian nation. So we had to leave that out. In fact, in 1774, two years before we did the Declaration, the state of Virginia passed a law to end slavery, and it was completely passed, but the king of Britain declined it. And he said, look, not going to happen. We have slaves here. You're going to have slaves there. And unfortunately, but you can see that what the United States represents is the beginning of freedom, of freedom to worship God, and the beginning of freedom in America for equality for all. So we talk about a lot of issues going on. Sometimes we forget what that flag represents, and our flag represents freedom, and it's the beginning of that equality. There's a big issue that's been going on in the NFL the last couple of years about should I stand for the flag, what does it represent, because the flag obviously represents racism. The flag obviously represents atheism and all these bad things that America did as its founding time. The LA Times just wrote an article about our founding fathers being unchristian roots. But when our flag represents freedom, 
you have to you have to honor the flag and you have to remember where we came from and honor God because it's the blessing of God. So you're not it's not that you, you're not want to get into a political thing like oh my nation's the best whatever, is that that represents that flag represents the blessing that God played upon this nation in a brand new beginning. So when we do that, we disqualify what God did for us and we begin to move backwards. Uh, so we look at our founding fathers. We go to John Adams. He was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, right? So we want to know who is the creator that they talk about. We all come to an agreement that the founding fathers believed in a creator, right? But who is their creator? Because that could be anybody. Well, it says, these are exact quotes, and it says, the general principles of which the fathers achieve independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. So... These are coming from, from John Adams. And these gonna be, I'm going to go through the Founding Fathers, about one or two, for just four or five of them, because we'd be here all day. But so I'm going to go through the ones that are the most controversial, the ones that were for sure the most evil people, the most atheists, the most unbelievers, right? So these are saying that he believes in Christianity. So if you're an atheist and a deist, you, you wouldn't be making statements like this, right? My favorite one is they're in the room, and they're trying to figure out, well, how are we going to run this new nation? How are we going to have that, an, an independent nation? How are we going to honor God? And how are we going to support it? So he says, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and that every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a utopia, what a paradise this nation would be. So imagine that we're here, one of the Steiners, and you're thinking about we're having this conversation. Is how are we going to have this new nation? How are we going to separate? And what are we going to have our foundation on? We have to found it upon something. Well, they're saying, what a utopia, what a paradise this nation would be if we based everything about this nation on the scripture, on the Bible itself. And these are people that are so-called atheists and so-called deists. So if you're an atheist and you're a deist, how would you want the entire nation to be under the Bible? All right, and sometimes we miss that. Uh, we talk about Christian nation. It's a controversial subject. Well, I'm not Christian, so what does that mean for me? What happens to my brother and sister? Does that give them so? The only reason why America works as a Christian nation, it only works as that, because as a Christian nation, what does the Bible teach us? That we have to love our enemies and that we have free will. So if, as a Christian nation, you don't have to be Christian to live here. You, can have, you have the freedom if you want to go to the Muslim church, the church of Satan, whatever church you want to go to, Buddha, whoever you is that you want to worship, as a Christian nation, you have freedom to do so. That's completely your opportunity, and you have, freedom to, you have that freedom to do so. If we're operating under, Shakir, under Sharia law, under Muslim law, we don't have that freedom. In fact, as Christians, we would be persecuted, so we'd have zero freedom. If we operated as an atheist nation, that anybody that had any kind of belief whatsoever would be silenced and we wouldn't have to be able to do that. So only as a Christian, we can go through every single religion, the Christianity is the only one that gives freedom to every single person, regardless of doctrine, regardless of any kind of affiliation or religious belief. Everybody has freedom to worship. And then the benefits of the Bible, regardless of your belief, are, it, it just it trickles down. There's a reason why it became the most blessed nation in the world. So, so we know uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin, right? Vladimir Putin is not a Christian, He's, that's public, but he made it a law about five, six years ago that every single individual in the public school system had to read the Bible because of the blessings that it brings to your land. He didn't do it by religion, that's because we believe in Jesus, he said because of the, 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 all the, everything that the Bible teaches us would bring so much blessing if everybody loved their neighbor and everybody took care of the poor, that what a blessed nation you would have. So let's follow these Christian principles without acknowledging or believing the God that it is. So imagine we take our faith and we live under these same principles. Um, and we've done that, but today we're starting to forget that. So Samuel Adams, signer of the Declaration of Independence, 
He's the father of the American Revolution, ratified the U.S. Constitution, and governed Massachusetts. So he did a state prayer, and he calls the entire state of Massachusetts to say this prayer. I'm just going to pray a little part of it. And it says, The peaceful and glorious reign of our divine Redeemer may be known and enjoyed throughout the whole family of mankind. We may with one heart and voice humbly implore his gracious and free pardon through Jesus Christ, supplicating his divine aid, and above all, to cause the religion of Jesus Christ and its true spirit to spread far and wide. To the whole earth shall be filled with his glory, with true contrition of heart, to confess their sins to God and implore forgiveness through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the governor of Massachusetts. He's a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Imagine today if we had our governor, Rick Scott, and he's campaigning. He's running for governor. He's like, hey, guys, I need your vote. What am I going to do for you? What is your plans for the state of Florida? And he tells everybody on TV, he's like, hey, my plan is that we're going to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody. And we're going to make Jesus the savior of everybody and get everybody to repent of their sins. Well, how do you think that's going to end up? It's not going to end up pretty well. He's going to be persecuted and that guy's career is over. He's the wacko. And so that's the way that we operate in today's world. If you stand up for Christ, you're going to be persecuted. And unfortunately, and we've gotten to that point because we haven't done anything about it. We went from a strong Christian foundation, removed the Bible in schools in the 1960s, and then the trigger will affect down the point. So after generation of generation... We're no longer being fed the Bible. We go to a church for maybe an hour or two on Sunday, and then you have the rest of the week to get educated by the world's, you know, public, the secular school system, all the social media, movies, video games, and then we ask why are all these bad things happening in today's culture? Well, because God's not the center of it, and that's the truth, uh, and that's because we haven't, we've allowed it because we haven't stepped up, we haven't done anything, and how do we know we haven't done anything? Because we don't do anything outside the four walls. Anytime an issue comes up, the church never raises its voice. We, the evangelicals don't show up to vote. And then we ask questions later. So um, keep going. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, we know, is probably the most atheist, right? I'm being sarcastic, of course. But that's what they teach us. Um, and he says, As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion, as he left him to us, the best of the world has ever saw or was likely to see. So this is from Benjamin Franklin. And these are, he's make, so he's obviously atheist, but he's making these things and saying that Jesus is the best thing this world has ever seen. Um, John Hancock, obviously he's a big signer, he called on the entire state to pray that universal happiness may be established in the world and that all may bow to the scepter of our Lord Jesus Christ and the whole earth be filled with his glory. So again, we're just going through some of these signers that were controversial, that everybody says there's no way in any form associated with Christianity and no way did they have a desire for America to be a Christian nation, right? Thomas Jefferson, the biggest one of them all, he says this, I am a real Christian, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So if we're these deists or we these atheists, we don't have the, the ability or the power to make such strong statements about Christianity. This is not just small little quotations that may be more biblical, maybe we're Christian. These are strong, powerful statements that say, hey, I'm confessing my faith. There's no doubt about it that Jesus should be the center of this nation, that Jesus is the center of my life. Uh, so one of my favorites is George Washington. He's one of my favorite founding fathers. So he's not a signer of the Declaration of Independence, but he was the first president of the United States, and he was our general uh, during the American Revolution. So we talk about American Revolution real quick. We'll take a pause on that. So American Revolution, we're coming here. So the American Revolution was led by our pastors. It was called the Back Robe Regiment, and they had this idea that we're going to separate and we're going to go and we want freedom before we get to the Declaration of Independence. And so how it would work was your pastor would stand here in a black robe, and Pastor Kevin would be here, and he'd be preaching and give you the whole message. After the service, he'd take off his black robe, and he'd have his military uniform on afterwards. And he'd ask the men 
and the young men to say, hey, we're going into battle. We're going to go. We're going to separate. We're gonna, we want to have freedom to worship. And, we, and that's how this whole American Revolution began. Now, the reason why they even got before that was because of coming out of the First Great Awakening. And a lot of our founding fathers in the churches back then were influenced by George Whitfield's preaching and this American revival was going on. So they're like, hey, we need to have freedom to worship. We need to have this blessed nation. So they went on that. But the reason why I bring that point up is people say, well, how are we ever going to become a Christian nation again? How are we ever going to see this great revival? Well, you know how many people showed up in the American Revolution? How many people actually supported the American Revolution as a whole? It's 2%. 2%. Imagine two out of 100 people in here said, hey, I want this American Revolution. The rest of you didn't care. Well, that's all we needed because all unity in numbers gives us strength and your voice is to be heard. So going back, so George Washington the general. He's leading us through this thing. And George Washington was a man of faith. He was, he was one that had the blessings of God. In fact, that he was labeled the bulletproof soldier, right? So George Washington, you can look it up, and they have, uh, they have copies of his uh, coat in Washington, D.C. He'd have four bullet holes in his coat. He had two horses that were shot from beneath him and he'd have bullet casings in his hair. So there was a famous marksman from the Indians. He's never missed a shot, ever. He's always been a one shot, one kill, and he shot at George Washington six times, and he missed. So he said that the Spirit of God was so strong upon George Washington that he could not be touched, that he was bulletproof. So there's a famous uh, painting. We know the prayer at Valley Forge, right? Most of you guys have seen that. There's George Washington. He's on his knees, uh, one knee, and he has the horse behind him, and he's praying. This is his painting, right, so, uh, from 1776. And he's on a, a farmer, a Quaker's farm by Mr. Potts. So Mr. Potts is a spy for Britain in the back. So we look at, and most of us missed this painting, but in the very, very back in the woods, there's like a little, little guy. He's real deep in the, in the picture. And he's there watching George Washington pray. So they have some letters from him. And uh, Mr. Plotz was watching George Washington. He's hearing his prayer since going on for 23 minutes. George Washington's just praying and praying and praying. Well, after this prayer, Mr. Plotz says he runs back to the British, and he tells the British, he's yelling and he's screaming. He's saying the war is over. The war is over that George Washington has already prayed. So imagine they believed in this guy's faith, and they saw the blessing of God was so strong that they heard his prayers. So the President of the United States and the Major General, that's it. We lost. We have nothing we can do. So... So imagine today we have all these issues and rumors of war. If Donald Trump just gives us a public prayer and everybody's like, oh, can't touch him. So we've obviously lost that faith. We're not standing in the same thing that we did once war. But imagine if we can get back to that, what a difference we can make today, especially the majority now is less than 2%. The majority of us are all Christians. So we've got to stand together. Um, so um, then people talk about the church. So was the church really allowed? There's separation of church and state, right? We've heard that statement. Separation of church and state, we can't, have, we can't talk about Christianity in America, because, especially in government, because we have a separation of church and state. Well, I would challenge any one of you to find out where that separation of church and state letter is, or where that is mentioned anywhere. Most people, you go to universities or high school, they'll tell you it's in the Constitution, they'll tell you it's in the Declaration of Independence, and you can, find, you can search every legal document that you want, it is not in there. So where did it come from? It was a letter from Thomas Jefferson, because they were going through this revolution, and we're, taught, we're separating from Britain, we're having freedom to worship. Under the, under the British rule, you didn't have a Bible. You didn't have access to have a personal God and a relationship with God. You didn't have an ability to read the Bible yourself. You did it. You submitted to the king. You understood what the king told you, and the church submitted to the king. That was it. That was simple. Um, so the church is like, well, if we're going to do this new in nation, are we going to be under the same rules? Are we going to have freedom to, to worship? Are we going to have to pay you all the money? Do we have to be some kind of denomination? Are we going to be Catholic, Baptist? What do we have to be? 
And they said, no, Thomas Jefferson let him a letter, and he said you were going to have a separation of church and state so that you, the church would have freedom to worship and admire any denomination that they wish. So the separation of church and state is to protect Christianity in America, not to keep it out of our politics. And how do I, why do I say that? As we looked at what the Congress building was made, the very first major church in America was inside the Congressional building, and it still operates today. So all of our founding fathers and all of our congressmen and our senators today, they still have a church inside the United States Capitol building. Uh, David Barton Wall Builders, they do a tour every April and every September, and we take a group to join them. And when the pastors go on this private tour behind the scenes, and we see all the spiritual heritage and the Christianity foundation throughout the Capitol. And if you do a public tour, they're only going to show you. We go after hours, and, they, and, uh, and then they actually sell a DVD. For those of you that aren't pastors, you can watch it. If you want your pastor to get involved, you can have them contact us or Wall Builders, and it's an awesome tour. But they take you to that church where they still pray and have services today. So there's a church going on inside of our United States Capitol building. So if we're not supposed to be having church in, in government, then why do we have a church that's actually alive and that's actually active? And it was from there, from our, our foundation. So is America a Christian nation? Uh, are we today? Legally? Yes. According to law, we are a Christian nation. In case for any of you that didn't know, in, the United, in 1892, they, everybody believed that it was evident that we were a Christian nation. But in 1892, there was kind of a, well, are we really a Christian nation or not? So they decided they take it to the United States Supreme Court. And under law, it stands today by the United States Supreme Court, America is a Christian nation. They said that by the evidence of our founding fathers, by our founding documents, that it is self-evident that America is a Christian nation. And that law has still stood today. So every single president and every single congressman has always been sworn on the Bible. They've always led opening, day, uh, opening prayer uh, from the Bible. Uh, until uh, President Obama came along, and President Obama said that America is the very first president to make that statement that America is no longer a Christian nation, that we are a nation of many religions, um, that we no longer put the Bible first. So I, I agree with him on some parts. I don't believe, because obviously that there's a protection and, uh, of God upon this nation, but I do believe in the fact that I believe no America is no longer a Christian nation. Why do I say that? Because we're no longer acting as a Christian nation. You look at divorce rates are through the roof. We no longer teach the Bible in schools. You have all of our films and everything as perverse as it can be, and we're no longer you're seeing racial equality at its absolute worst, uh, and, and as far as in my lifetime, and, and going back 60, 70 years, and we're going backwards, and we're getting worse and worse every single day. So to say that we're still a Christian nation, I would agree with him, say no, we're not. Um, I believe that we're founded as one. I believe that we can be one, but it comes up to us, the people, to make that decision. So that's kind of what my whole ministry is about is I came up with this declaration of America as being a Christian nation. So we the people get to decide. It's a, it comes down to you as an individual. You decide, hey, I, do, I believe it's a Christian nation. So we have this thing that you can sign. It's a declaration. Uh, and I'll read it to you in just a moment. But you're going to have to get that opportunity to make a choice for yourselves. Is Do you want America to be a Christian nation or do you not want it to be a Christian nation? That's your choice. We define the nation, not anybody else. Uh, we look at Christian businesses. Uh, so there's very few Christian businesses that honor Christian uh, it honor Sunday anymore or it honor God at all. Uh, so, for example, Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby do a great job of standing strong. They've been persecuted very, very difficult these last couple of years. So they have a lot of things come against them, but they have stood strong in their faith. And Chick-fil-A is one of the most profitable uh, fast food restaurants in the world, but they close on Sunday and they've under a lot of persecution, but it hasn't fazed them. Uh, so per store, they, they're by far the absolute, they beat McDonald's by like $100,000 per store um, per cap, but obviously they don't have as many stores as McDonald's, so you look at it as a whole company, McDonald's still beats them out. But as a per-store margin, Chick-fil-A is the most profitable uh, fast food restaurant in America. 
Uh, Hobby Lobby stood very strong. But you looked at, we had a lot of Christian companies. And Walmart started as a Christian company. Uh, you look at Alaska Airlines, JetBlue, and you, they've recent years started coming under persecution. So Alaska Airlines, if you flew in Alaska, you used to have a Bible verse on every single napkin on the plane. And just about two years ago, they were fought hard and people started boycotting them and say, hey, we don't support Christian companies. Even though 77% of America is Christian, they were like, we're not gonna support this anymore. So they removed it. And you start to see other companies start to follow that suit. They're like, hey, we'll just leave religion out of it and uh, we won't worry about that. And not that, that it's wrong, but we're not standing up for a faith that we believe in. So we've been persecuted and changed by this world. Um, so the one thing that people ask is, well, how do you get 70? My goal would be to raise 70 million people to declare American Christian Nation publicly. You create a movement and you birth something and you're making a, uh, a spiritual declaration and you're stirring up the, the movement or whatever. Um, but is it possible? Well, and do you, need, do you really need that many? No, of course you don't need that many and you don't need many very at all. I talked about the American Revolution, only 2%. Um, and then we look at the one thing that I'll applaud is the LGBT community. So according to statistics, depending which one you look at, only 2 to 4% of America is really, it stands for the LGBT community, right? But 100% of them, 99.9 something, is united as one strong voice, and they've come together, and they have changed this nation and flipped it upside down for what they believe in, which is great. I applaud them for that. We have 70, 77% of America believes in Christianity, and identify themselves as an evangelical, yet we say that we're Christian outside and everybody wants to kill you. And if you say you're Christian in your business or anything like that, or in, in government and politics, they tell you to stay out of it. So it would take very, very few. The reason why I came up with 70 million is 20% of America, and that's the vision that God had given to me. In reality, you'd need about 1% of that population to actually bring real change. Uh, it doesn't take very much. It takes a unity and it takes a voice standing to get together. Um, so the other thing is why a Christian nation? Well, it's in Proverbs 14.34. It says, righteousness exalts a nation, and sin will condemn its people. So we have a sin problem in America. We need to repent, and we need to, um, to promote righteousness in America again. That's really what we need. And then the last thing we get is, is it biblical, or is it too late? Oh, I already went over, is it biblical in Psalm 33.12? It blessed the nation of God is the Lord. So God wants us to make our nation the Lord. And, but is it too late for America? Most of us say that. Or a lot of us will say that, well, it's just it's too late, I am give up, I'm just going to stay, I'm going to pray, I'm waiting for the rapture, uh, I'd rather not get involved, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And w but in Second Chronicles 7, 14, it says, if my people who are called by my name would pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, and I will hear their land, and I'll forgive them of their sins, right? So it's never too late for God, obviously. And the idea is, well, if you're just waiting for the rapture, what are you going to leave behind for the next generation to to come, and then secondly, as Christians, we're supposed to share the gospel to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we don't want to go out by ourselves and say, oh, forget you guys, but we want to have a revival awakening, that's something that I want to be a part of, uh, and uh, they, in the worship team, they're talking about praying for a fire that would rise up, and that would be my vision and my goal, is that a fire would be birthed inside of you, that you would be uh, given a vision and a passion and desire to save souls throughout the United States, that you would make uh, America known as a Christian nation, but why America? People always say, well, why America? I'm not really American descent. I'm all, all my in-laws, I'm married a Colombian, so all my in-laws are Hispanic, and they're like, well, why? That's kind of like, that's your country, that's not really mine, I don't really care. But if you're a citizen of this home, and a founding father said that, they used the Proverbs that Jesus always said, that America would be like a city upon a hill, and that whatever America did, the rest of the world would follow, if we were to get ourselves as a Christian nation. Back then, America was nothing. 
Well, how many of you noticed, once America became the most powerful nation in the world, the richest nation in the world, whatever America did, whatever happened in America, trickled down to the rest of the world. America's economy crashed, the world's economy crashed. So America had gotten to the point under God's blessing that it came a city upon a hill and the rest of the world watches. That's because of the blessing of God, not that we're better than anybody else, but it's just the way that it works. Uh, and we sit back here and we're like, well, we don't have the ability to do anything. According to statistics, again, if you make more than $37,000 a year, right, for those of us that are controversial about America really being our home, if we're happy being here, you're considered one of the 1% richest people in the entire world. So Walmart recently, under uh, Trump's new tax rules, raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour. That puts you about $30,000 a year. So you work at Walmart, which is like entry level, anybody can get there. You're almost the 1% richest in the entire world just by living here. So the blessing of God has definitely been upon this nation, and my passion and desire to see that. So I'm going to ask Danville and Alex. They're going to hand out a sheet of paper. Um, what it is, is it's a registration form. So if you say, hey, you know what, I agree with what you're saying. I agree with what you're doing. I do believe that I want America to be a Christian nation. Now, a lot of you have already signed in the first service and we ran, so I appreciate that. What you're going to do is there's going to be a form, and you're going to fill it out completely and legibly. You just put your information, and that's just to prove you're a valid person and that we don't have any duplicates. Uh, if you are, were already signed online or you signed at the conference, but you want to sign with the church, Pastor Kevin has already signed and his wife. Um, and you want to sign to have been the picture, you can come up and sign. When we go to register your name, it's not going to, it's not going to let us count it as one of the signatures because it'll come up as a duplicate. It goes by email and address and all that. So just fill it out. Give it to us. You can sign it. Um, but the idea is that we know that, hey, when people, there's weight to it because there's so many people that go around and they're like, oh, I got 100,000 people to sign my, my thing. And it's like, you know, Thomas Jones and like a bunch of made-up names from all these little places and there's no real weight to it. So this just puts validity that, hey, these are real people, these are real individuals, and it's a public declaration. So the only thing that will be publicized is your name, your city, and state, because if you're not going to make your confession public, there's really no point. It's kind of the reason why we give an altar call. We're making a public dedication to say, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And today we're making a decision that if you want to, that you're going to publicly uphold biblical values in America and that you believe publicly that America should be a Christian nation. So you can go on IDeclare.org. We're about 1,800, I believe, somewhere around there. IDeclare.org, we just got started. Um, so IDeclare.org, you go to who's signed. You can see every single person that has signed. We have a signer in every single state already, at least one, and we have a signer in every single province of the United States of America, uh, and we just got started. So, so we're working on that. So I think that was kind of a prophetic thing because the number is 1,800 is not a lot, but it is from where we got started. But the odds that we got one in every single 50 states in American Samoa and Mariana Islands and Guam and Puerto Rico, uh, it's been, it's, I, I have taken it as a prophetic sign that God's going to move throughout the entire nation because there may be only one or two signatures in each one, but, uh, but at least one person in every state and every province has declared America a Christian nation already, and it's only been going on for a few months. So, um, What the checkbox at the bottom means, it says, yes, I'm supporting this vision. You don't have to check that. That's just if... If you feel obligated that you're like, hey, I, I really believe in this. I want to volunteer. We do need volunteers. You maybe want to pray. Uh, if you want to finan uh, support financially, someone would contact you and reach out to you and let you know how you can get involved, how you can support us. Uh, so if you don't want to do that, you can just fill out your name and information. When you guys come up, we're going to do two lines. And I'll ask Alex and Danville to come up. And uh, we're going to do two lines, and we're going to sign the declaration. I'm going to read it. Uh, but whenever you guys are ready, you can start making the line. Um, if you have a business or a church, if you're here as a pastor and you say, you know what, I want to publicly confess my business as a Christian business to uphold biblical values. If you see uh, Glenn in the back or at the front booth, 
Uh, that's my father, by the way. He's here, and my mom's here in the front. So thank you guys for being here. But uh, they have forms for business registrations as well. So you can do two, one as an individual, one as your business. So, um, But for those that haven't signed already in the first service, if you guys, whenever you guys are ready, you'd be more than welcome to come up. And then Danville and Alex will be here. And Alex will say a prayer first at the end. And I think Hank's going to do some ministering at the end. Um, I'll just read this as you guys come up. It says, we the people declare America to be a Christian nation. A nation that will uphold Christian biblical values as a standard for all to prosper regardless of rigid position. America is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We acknowledge that we are all sinners and we have no stones to throw at others. We repent of our sins as individuals and as a nation. We acknowledge the Bible as the ultimate written authority from God and strive to uphold biblical principles in our individual lives. Our neighbors are in our families and our country. We pledge to love and obey our creator and to love our neighbors and create it in his image. We believe God gave each the freedom to worship him as conscious dictates. We believe America's founding documents were written to protect freedom of religion, not from religion. Individuals in America have a right to live their lives, raise their families, and operate their business in alliance with biblical principles without interference from governments. We pledge to vote according to biblical principles to ensure our rights and freedom regardless of political party affiliation, religious denomination, race, or gender. We pledge to defend our constitution and submit ourselves to our nation to the sovereignty of our Lord, the King of Kings, the supreme authority over the destiny of America as a nation. So when we're doing that, we're making a prophetic declaration, a public declaration that, hey, I agree to those things. I believe that God's going to be first in my life. He's going to be first in my family, that I'm going to vote biblically. I'm going to take care of my neighbors. And uh, so it's, you're in making a prophetic move in the spirit. So for anybody that wants to sign, you can feel free to come up now. And then when we're done, Alex, right, if anybody wants to. And then if not, whenever Hank's ready. So if anybody... So one here, we have to do two lines, one on the right and one on the left. And then you would, uh, for your paper to sign, if you just hand the paper into. As you're signing, there is a personal copy you can take for yourself um, and take home. And then there's the instructions on the back if you, how to share it if you wanted to see who signed and how to share it with your friends and family. Uh, we also have little invite cards that just kind of tell people how to get involved. They ask it kind of like to challenge other people. So if you're out on the streets, you want to give them out, we have those. And then lastly, our resource table. We have five different designs of t-shirts. If you wanted, we have uh, just a vision kind of shows what we're doing. But it says, I declare America Christian Nation. They challenge others, will you? And then it says, I declare America Christian Nation. So we have some fun t-shirts. It just kind of spreads the vision of what we're trying to do.
All right, so I appreciate you guys. I thank you. And then I'm going to ask Alex really quick to just seal the prayer, and then Hank's going to do some, uh, some ministry, I believe. So Alex, you just pray and seal the declaration. Father, we thank you today that the Bible says that when two or three are gathered in your name, you are there and you are here. And in the power of agreement, we declare that this declaration that has been signed is also a declaration that is sent forth in the spirit. Before principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness, there is a declaration that stands within the airways, highways, byways, and hedges that is subject to the obedience of Jesus Christ that will cause the hand of God to continue to bring reformation and restoration and revival within this nation that the foundations of the nation is being shaken through every declaration that governors and those who are seated in places of authority that the hand of God would continue to move and the spirit of the Lord would blow like a rushing wind and the suddenly of God would move forth over those that are sitting in powers legislating the laws and the bills of the land that the president of the United States of America and all of those that are in the government of the United States of America would be under the presence of God would be visited by the Holy Spirit and that the suddenly of this age, the suddenly of this season would begin to overshadow and overtake their lives. With this public declaration, we declare that the blood of Jesus seals every American that has stand to declare America a Christian nation and we come together as power of agreement goes forth to declare that the word would not return void but it would go and accomplish what it said it would do and as the church of God stands and the church of God arises and the church of Jesus Christ wakes up to be able to take a stand in this nation we declare that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as the church arise as reformation goes forth and as revival is birthed in this age in this time in the remnant that is waking to make a difference in our nation in the name of Jesus Christ we plead the blood and we pray and the people of God said amen Thank you guys for letting me be here today.